your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solomon. On the phone with me this hour is State Rep Steve Doyle. Nothing like I, I had Jill on last week. I have you on this week. Just not a whole lot going on, but I need to fill time, Steve. I uh, appreciate that I'm filling in for whoever at the last minute can't because <laughs> they have something better to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it might have been my fault, too. I just, I'm going to blame them uh, when I when I plead to get you on the air for with me. But I appreciate you being uh, available. Um, There's 75 things that we need to talk about. I'm just going to run down the whole list. Uh, you voted on tax cut bills, the income tax cut bill last week, child care vote bill last week. Uh, there was a special, no, there's a special session tomorrow on workforce development. Uh, the Republicans in the assembly threw a Iowa-ish voting maps model at you on Tuesday, and you voted for it on Thursday, or, well, you voted against it. And um, I don't know how much of a party you have to do with this, but you guys uh, in the in Madison fired Megan Wolf on the Wisconsin Election Commission, and we're giving the Milwaukee Brewers $614 million. Is that about it? Yeah, other than that, it's pretty quiet. <laughs> other than that. Uh, has Has... Your job in the assembly ever been like this? You know, it seems like uh, every week there's something new and uh, something challenging. And uh, I have a, I have an interesting story to tell about last week, if I may. Okay, go ahead. So um, last week, about midweek, I started to feel kind of sick, and so I uh, I took a COVID test, and it uh, came up positive, um, but. Right now, the Republicans are three seats away from having a supermajority where they could override the governor's veto and do pretty much anything they wanted. So um, when I took the test, I was here in Madison. So our leadership asked me to stay, but just, uh, you know, quarantine in my, uh, you know, in the, in the private part of my office. So I said, that's fine. Uh, we have a, a rule in the assembly that so long as you're in the building, uh, your seatmate can vote for you. You don't actually have to be up on the floor, and, and that's really typical. happens happens all the time. So um, on Thursday, then my second day of uh, of knowing that I had COVID, um, we went into session at one o'clock and uh, started talking about the child care issues. Uh, and then later that afternoon, we started talking about the uh, Republican proposal on uh, redistricting, which we really didn't feel was a legitimate proposal. It had been introduced like hours after it was drafted. There were no public hearings, no public discussion, nothing. Even the Senate didn't know about it, the, the Republicans in the Senate. So we were concerned about that. And uh, about... Mm, Mid-evening, a couple of my Democratic colleagues left to go back to Milwaukee, uh, which left us uh, with only one vote difference between that and, uh, you know, a a supermajority. So about 11 o'clock or so, the Republicans uh, called called the House to see if they had enough to override all of Governor Eber's vetoes. And uh, so at that point, uh, they're doing the roll call, and... uh, Magically, uh, I appeared in the assembly chambers, mask and all, uh, and there was a uh, visible and audible groan when I walked in uh, because the Republicans saw that uh, they were not going to be able to override 
the dozen or a couple dozen uh, of Governor Evers' vetoes. So I, uh, I don't always uh, end up being the vote that makes the difference, but uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I arose from my deathbed to get to the assembly chambers made a difference. Okay, so the two Democrats that went back to Milwaukee, do they understand all of this is happening? Yeah, I don't know what the story is behind them leaving. I mean, that was uh, a, a little surprising, um, and uh, I, I never did hear the, the story about why they why they left. Uh, other than maybe they assumed that everybody else would stay, and that you know I was still in the building. So it was it was odd. Um, and you know, even though I wasn't feeling well, I decided it was just as easy to lay on the couch in my office than to go back to the hotel and lay on the bed in the hotel room. So. You know, it makes sense for me to stay here. Now, was it the Republicans that let out this groan or because because they knew they knew you were there or just in general when you arrive at places? Do people let out this groan Uh, in public? (laughs) I see that all the time. Um, But here specifically, it was the Republicans. uh, I mean, they they thought for sure they hadn't seen me since like early afternoon. They thought for sure that I had actually ducked out and and wasn't there and that this was going to be. Uh, a home run for them. I mean, they, they would have just called up veto after veto after veto well, and overridden each of them. I mean, it was a it, it, it was a, a chance for them to really do their thing in one fell swoop. Yeah, that, I have a question about that, and I don't know how the if there are rules to this. If if that scenario poses itself, let's just say you know four of you Democrats in the assembly leave, but the rest of do you have to be a in session? And then can Republicans just go, okay, let's vote on all the stuff because a couple of the Democrats are gone and we've got a supermajority. So we'll just create thing after thing and vote into, into the night and into the next day and until everything is uh, our way. Yep, the way the rules work, um, they can call up veto overrides at any time. Uh, they do not have to be listed on the calendar. Um, they don't have to give us any notice ahead of time. They can just bring it up. Um, and so we're concerned, like today, um, was what's called a skeletal session. So we were in session last Thursday. The, uh, the Constitution requires that we're, when we're in session, which we are right now, we have to have a meeting at least every three days. Uh, what, what they do on days that there isn't a real calendar is they call it a skeletal session where they literally will go on the floor, uh, call the meeting to order, and a few seconds later just adjourn. Um, without conducting any business. That meets the constitutional requirement. So we were scheduled today for that, uh, but there's nothing to say that uh, had they had a majority uh, here, you know, in other words, if all of the Republicans were hiding in their offices and quick ran to the floor uh, at 10 o'clock this morning, uh, theoretically they could have then gone into regular session over in the governor's vetoes if we, you know, Democrats weren't here. And so um, our party... Um, unfortunately, and it kind of sucks for the taxpayers, but we need to be here every day that we are potentially scheduled for session just in case that kind of a thing happens. And then what kind of notice do you get that like, oh, hey, Republicans have called, a, you know, for a vote. I, like, how do you get this notice? And do you get like a minute? Do you get an hour? Do you get 24 hours notice that you have to get to the chamber to vote on this? Otherwise, they're going to, you know, veto override everything. We're asked to stay within half an hour of the, the Capitol. You know, for my purposes, that means I'm here in the Capitol because I live two and a quarter hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I got here this morning uh, in time for the 10 o'clock, uh, if anything had happened, which it didn't. 
Um, tomorrow is a special session, so I'll be here for that. Thursday is another one of those skeletal session days, so I will be here for that. But I also have an insurance committee meeting, so I would be here anyway. Um, you know, but it's, it's unfortunate because when we're in town here, um, you know, we get paid mileage and per diems for trips that, you know, are basically more of a, of a protection rather than an expectation that, you know, any legislative business is going to be done. Right. Uh, while I'm here, obviously, I can talk with my colleagues. We can work on bills. We can, you know, respond to constituent stuff and, and so forth. So I mean, it's not like I'm sitting here other than last Thursday when I was sick. I'm not just sitting here laying on my, my couch in my office. We, I am doing work. Yeah, and the per diem is what, like a hundred bucks or something a day? Um, I think that it's like ninety, which is what the hotel costs uh, at the state rate. Um, and then we get mileage of I don't remember how much per mile. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that stuff. But then you get a food you get food money too, right? Or is it all one lump? Um, we get yeah, we get something for that. I, it, you know, again, um, not I, something you're thinking about. <laughs> I got it. No. And I really, I really don't. So I couldn't tell you. My staffer could tell you, right? Because uh, he keeps track of it. But I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. That's state assi- why I'm here. That's state assembly rep Steve Doyle of the 94th Assembly District. He's going to hang out with this hour. If you want to shoot me a text, give me a question six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. Six zero eight. 785-7914 is the text line if you got questions for State Rep Steve Doyle, who apparently saved the state of Wisconsin, Democrats in the state of Wisconsin, all the vetoes in the in the assembly. What kind of what kind of things would have changed if you would not have come out of your office to uh to the to the chagrin and groans of Republicans last Thursday? Well, if you look at some of the vetoes that the governor has issued, everything from his veto of um, uh, you know, the Republican version of tax cuts versus his version, uh, you know, some climate-related things, some education funding, you know, his uh, so-called 400-year education plan, um, a lot of big stuff, a lot of small stuff. Um, you know, there would have there been a lot. I mean, it, it was something that we knew we had to be ready for at any time. And so today, you know, I, I asked leadership, you know, is there a chance that there'd be a shortage of people? And they said, we don't care. We're not going to risk it. We're just going to uh, ask everybody to be here. So I got in my car and I drove here. I've tested negative, so I'm, I'm fine at this point. But, um, you know, we're just not taking, not taking chances. Yeah, and tomorrow Republicans are whole. Or, or Governor Evers is called. Is it weird? Governor Evers is called a special session on workforce development, which includes childcare. But you're already in session, so is it weird for the governor to call a special session while you're in session? I guess I would prefer that he do it that way. Um, what we've seen um, is that when he calls special sessions, that um, you know Republic, Republicans call us to order and then immediately adjourn. So. If it's a day that we already had to be here, um, you know, then we were going to be here. Otherwise, a special trip to Madison for all 99 of us to be in session for 30 seconds is, uh, again, it's a waste of taxpayer dollars. Well, yeah, when when you gavel in or when Republicans gavel in in and out of a special session. But those you have the other. So I'll just say it 13 times apparently is the number. I thought it was 11, but somebody wrote 13 and I think everyone ran with it. 
13 times Republicans have gaveled in and out of special sessions called by Governor Evers within maybe a minute. And I feel like in the back room somewhere, the Senate and the Assembly are having like a contest to see how fast one can gavel in and out of it if they can do it faster than the other. Because they get shorter and shorter, do they not? Um, well, they go so fast that I don't even have enough time to pay attention to uh, what's going on. It's like you you blink and it's over. Um, and, and that's the problem in Madison right now is that everybody's talking past each other. You know, Republicans issue a proposal of something and we don't like it or the governor doesn't like it. And so, you know, we poo-poo it and we don't, you know, we don't support it. Vice versa, uh, you know, we have a proposal. It doesn't get taken up. Um, you know, so, like, we're sitting on this this nice surplus that should go back to the taxpayers. You know, Democrats have their idea of how the tax, uh, you know, um, refunds should work and tax cuts should work. Republicans have their version. Neither side is willing to go along with the other side or even compromise at this point. So nobody's getting their, you know, their, their tax cut. That, that's stupid. Um, and so I would really like to see us be forced. You know, when they do the, the call of the house, they lock the doors and you can't leave until they lift the call of the house. Maybe we should do like a day-long call of the house where everybody has to be locked in the assembly chambers and we can't leave until we actually reach an agreement on something. You know, no food, no water, nothing. You just have to reach an agreement. No water. This is like my 90s high school football practice experience. No getting a drink, kids. Uh, there you go. And, and the, past go. Special, the past special ses- sessions that have been gaveled in and out by 30, in 30 seconds, one was on the budget surplus. One was on uh, updating the unemployment system. One was on Badger Care. One was on public school funding. Another one on gun reform. Another one on police reform right, after the Keno- uh, right before the Kenosha incident after George Floyd. Um, and then this one will be on childcare and you have no inclination. No, you like, if you were going to bet, like how much of that per diem money would you put down on Republicans gaveling in and out of this thing tomorrow in 30 seconds? Well, because it's also a regular session day, which we're not scheduled to actually do anything. Okay. I think people, a lot of people would have been here anyway. So I I can't say that there's going to be a significant cost increase because of the special session. On the other hand, um, it, we're missing an opportunity to, to get something done. That's that's the frustrating part of it. You know, um, we dismiss out of hand their ideas. They dismiss out of hand our ideas. Um, and nobody's saying, well, how about something in the middle? We we all agree that the roads need to be fixed. I don't even know if that's true anymore, but we all agree. Why don't we just spend all $4 billion on fixing the roads and then all the Democrats and Republicans will be happy because we just bought a lot of cement. Well, that's an idea. Um, if you offer that as a Democrat, the Republicans will reject it. And if you offer that as a Republican, the Democrats will reject it. But at least it could get us talking. Well, and then, and then as, the, as a public, the, we would all be mad at both of you because everyone wants us to fix the roads. It's, it's kind of funny how we always just, oh, the roads, fix the roads. Well, you know, I was on County M a couple of weeks ago. It was pretty bad in West, up north of West Salem there. Well, uh, to go back to your comment, I think that people already should be mad at both of us because what's happening now isn't serving the people. You know, and it's no different in Washington, D.C., where, you know, we may have a government shutdown because the both sides are dug in and neither side's talking with each other. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. That's not what we were elected to do. Well, we, we won't see this special session tomorrow be gaveled in and out in 30 seconds because it's a skeletal session 
And also, if a couple of Democrats didn't show up, then it might be a very long session because the Republicans would have a supermajority in the assembly? I think that they know, because we've basically told them that we're going to be here every day that it's possible that they could go into session. So I expect that it will be a very, very short um, special session. Um, and then when, when they adjourned today, the skeletal session, they adjourned to Thursday. So even though it's a potential session day tomorrow, they, for regular session purposes, they skipped over tomorrow to go straight to Thursday, which will be then a gavel in and gavel out for the skeletal session. But we will be here tomorrow for the special session, too. If you're not totally confused yet, no, nope. I can keep working on it. I, well, and it, it seems it seems childish as we talk about child care, but it also seems like there should be rules. I think you, there should be like a nine to five schedule. And then if the session goes beyond that, it shouldn't be nefarious. Like, why aren't there rules like, oh, a couple of Democrats didn't show up. We're going to gavel in and, and start overriding vetoes or veto overrides. And uh, why aren't there rules for something like that? Or are there? Well, there are rules that basically say, you know, if you show up, then your vote counts. If you don't, then it's your own fault. And so, I mean, we as Democrats know the rules. And, and so... Um, that's why I stayed here last Thursday, you know, even though it was getting to be 1130 at night and, and, you know, I wasn't feeling well because I know the rules. Right. Uh, and you know, I wouldn't want to be the person that people pointed their finger at and saying, you know, that guy could have stayed on his couch instead of going back to his hotel. And now look at, this is what happened because he took off. But you're saying, you're saying, you're saying those, those are the rules, but those are rules that are almost like not rules. I feel like. If you're if the the legislature is going to vote on stuff, then maybe like eight o'clock they have to they have to punch out and then they have to continue this the next day or something. The idea that we pass things into the middle of the night uh, seems seems wrong. Well, I do have to say things have improved in that regard. When I first got elected in 2011, we regularly went to three or four in the morning. Um, this last Thursday, when we were there till 11:30 at night was an anomaly. I mean, normally we're done by maybe 7 or 8 at, at, at night. So mm-hmm. um, that at least is more logical. I mean, after the media goes home, first of all, you know, people that are trying to play to the cameras are wasting their time because there's no cameras there. Um, but secondly, you know, it's just like teenagers. Nothing good happens after midnight. So um, I'd say the legislature the same thing. We don't do good stuff after midnight. I would say that's not even just for teenagers. I think uh, just in general. Oh, you speak for yourself, Rick. I think that's like 2 a.m. though, or th- maybe even 3 a.m. I think midnight. Uh, yeah, you're in that territory. But um, all right, we got to take another break. Steve Doyle, Assembly Rep of District 94, is going to continue with us. We're going to talk about. Um, well, we got to talk about some of the details and in, into the stuff that that y- you voted on and didn't, and also the the map plan as well. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. On the phone with me for this hour is State Rep Steve Doyle. He's uh, somewhere in Madison because he's got to be close to the Capitol, and there's going to be a special session tomorrow during a session. But Governor Evers has called a special session on child care. I guess you know his special session. He's gonna he wants to spend 365 million dollars on child care uh, to before this child care counts federal program expires in January, and then he. 
uh, wants to spend $320 million on higher education and $100 million on workforce innovation grant programs. And we'll just, we'll just ignore all of those, right, as Republicans? Yeah, I mean, that's what we expect will happen tomorrow. Um, you know, the Republicans don't agree with those priorities. I mean, that's fine. Um, you know, but, you know, they bring up their bills and we vote them down. Then the governor calls his special session. They don't, you know, consider his proposals. Um, I mean, that's, that's just not a good way to do business. So at some point it would be nice if, you know, the, the people would sit down. You know, somebody from the governor's office, somebody from the Senate, some, from, somebody from the Assembly, and then, you know, obviously both parties in the legislature – um, uh, you know, that's what I do in my law career. You get people in a room and you work it out. And I don't see why it can't be done, you know, in, in politics, but it just seems to be much more difficult. We have a $4 billion budget surplus. Some of this money would be used as what Evers is proposing. That would come from the budget surplus, right? Right. And Republicans' idea is to blow the budget surplus on an income tax cut that would benefit. It would cut income taxes. They they voted on this in the assembly. It would drop income taxes 0.9 percent for those making between and roughly it's uh, you know eighteen thousand dollars and four hundred and five thousand dollars. So a very wide, a very broad uh, spectrum of people there uh, that would see a 0.9 percent tax cut. Yeah, I mean, we would like to see it targeted as much as possible to, you know, lower and middle class uh, as opposed to going up to some of the, you know, those higher levels. Um, you know, but obviously there should be room for negotiation. Why Why is this always a, like this? This is the fight all the time. Like, why would people making 18000 and people making 405000 get the same tax cut? Uh, clearly, those people live in different worlds. Um, but also, this blows up the budget surplus at four billion dollars for the future. There one this this budget surplus that's been accumulated. Some of this th- this tax cut would take away from some of that, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't do a permanent cut um, if you only have a one-time surplus. So, I mean, we can't spend money or give away money uh, that we won't have in the next biennium. Although some of that, both parties have factored in what we're likely to get, you know, in the next biennium versus this biennium. I mean, we know that uh, tax collection, simply by virtue of inflation, if nothing else, you know, increases uh, year after year. Um, but, yeah, if you just, you know, blow it and spend it all the way down to zero, um, you're going to be raising taxes next time. So that would be a huge mistake. And, yeah, because we, we see it, the, the budget surplus, we, we got most of that from taxes on like corporations and, and spend and like the amount of spending that's happened. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it turned out that, uh, you know, the, the, the federal, uh, tax giveaway that some people call it, um, actually, you know, supercharged the economy. And even though things were bad COVID wise, people were still spending money on stuff that, uh, you know, they paid sales tax on. So we had, pretty much record sales tax collections across the state as a result of that. Um, people were working, whether it was remotely or at the, at the normal job site, and so people were earning money and paying income taxes, likewise corporations. So, you know, it, it turned out that we were expecting the sky to fall, and the sky ended up not falling. Yeah, a 0.9 tax per- percent drop for someone making eighteen grand is... It's not a lot. I think someone, I think they, we talked about this last week, the median income in lacrosse is like, like 50 grand or 30 grand or something like that in lacrosse County. I can't remember exactly, but 
the the tax cut would end up being like a couple bucks a day. <laughs> so so it just doesn't make an impact on someone's lives when it's like, oh, I can get you know, I can get a corn dog. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to notice that it. it's really not going to help you pay your your utility bills, send your kids to school, or buy school clothes for them, things like that. You know, it's better than an increase, but it's really not something that is going to affect people's behavior. So are Republicans just dead set on it's got to be an income tax cut and Democrats are a little indifferent there because I think they would be they would be for an income tax cut for a certain people. But I mean, you when you talk about getting into a room together, where's the negotiation? What are we going to what are we going to compromise on? It would seem to me that if you look at that, uh, you know, that, that tax bracket that you just described that has such a broad width to it, um, paring that down so that you're not going maybe quite that high, um, putting a little bit more money there. Um, I, I kind of actually personally like the idea of retired people getting a, a break on, you know, the first X amount of dollars of, of their, their income. I, I think that that's something that um, could have more broad-based political support. You know, so I, I, I think there is something to, to go on, and, and we had always thought, you know, with a budget surplus, it's going to be easier to reach an agreement than, a, you know, a budget shortfall where it's like, where do we inflict the pain? Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out, you know, it turned out, actually, we were able to get a budget passed, and the governor signed it and, you know, with a, a handful of vetoes, but he did sign it, so that part was good. But just this this last 5% of the job hasn't gotten done yet. Well, well, and that's funny because the 5% of the job is still half the budget surplus, which is only $4 billion. So just a giant pile of money Uncle Scrooge is sitting on there. So uh, making a 19, 1990s yeah. DuckTales reference is what I just did there. <laughs> uh, well, well, and when I say you know 5% is left, we can do that in one vote. Um, you know, so I mean, we could give it a four billion dollar or two billion dollar tax cut in one vote if we could get people to agree on it. Right. Uh, we're sta- we're talking with Assembly Rep Steve Doyle in the District ninety four. All right, so I guess we got to get into this. The, the 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 Robin Voss. I don't know how many other Republicans are on board with this, but wants to impeach Janet Protasiewicz because it's kind of a direct conflict with power across the state for Republicans in the legislature because she's going to vote on a lawsuit that deals with gerrymandering or rigged voting lines is what I like to call it rigged voting maps um so so how how do you interpret that because there's there's the uh the secret panel of judges that Robin Voss wants to use to deflect uh that it's his responsibility he wants to impeach Janet and there's the the reasonings that Republicans have given to impeaching her. Uh, she took $10 million from the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, and she said the voting maps are rigged in a primary debate. So what's your interpretation of all that? Well, you know, I'm not sure if this is uh, a bluff, a head fake, or if this is real. Um, you know, having the, the, the panel of three judges, one of whom is, uh, um, you know, retired Justice Prosser, um, what they would come up with is interesting because, uh, you know, the Judicial Commission, which is the certainly nonpartisan entity that regulates the behavior of judges, has said that they don't see a problem. Um, if you look at um, 
justices and what they have voted on in, in the past. I mean, Justice Prosser himself got money from the Republican Party. He was uh, like the majority leader in the assembly before he was uh, elected to the, you know, to the, the Supreme Court. And so there's a partisan aspect involved with so many of the, the justices. Well, you know, and to say that she's already taken a position uh, on that, well, first of all, she says they're rigged. That doesn't mean she's going to vote, a per, you know, automatically against these these maps. She just doesn't, you know, think that the, the process worked well. But along the same lines, these maps that we're under right now were put in place by the Supreme Court rule so that every member of the Supreme Court that's sitting there right now that is a conservative voted in favor of these maps. So they have already taken a position uh, on these maps. Right. So, so how you can say, well, yeah, their position is different uh, than her position. I mean, they've weighed in. These are their maps. They're not ones that came out of nowhere. They they were court-imposed. And so, you know, if they've taken a position, that leaves uh, probably two or three liberal members of the court that didn't vote in favor of them and didn't have an election last year. So maybe they get to decide. And I don't think the Republicans would like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. Uh, David Prosser is one of the three members of a secret panel that Robin Voss has created to kind of justify impeaching Janet Protasiewicz or take, I don't, I don't even know how that works, but David Prosser gave $500 in, in, in campaign money to Protasiewicz's opponent in the last election. So like to, to to the idea that he's going to be impartial, he's already, he's already uh, decided how he's, he would uh, tell Voss to vote on an impeachment there anyway. Um, So in the midst the other thing is, if you look at the next step, so if she's impeached or, you know, she resigns before being impeached, Governor Evers gets an appointment, which is not subject to confirmation by the Senate. So he could, you know, the next day put a new person in, and you know that person's not going to be a conservative Republican, and they would be able to vote oh. on these maps. You know, so it, what does it accomplish other than getting rid of her, um, you know, after the voters of Wisconsin by an 11 foot margin said that she was the person they wanted. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't get them the end game that they want to get. Okay. So if the assembly, but here's the thing, right? The assembly votes to impeach Republicans in the assembly vote to impeach Protasiewicz. Then the Senate just leaves, doesn't do anything. And then she can't, that's the game plan, right? And then she can't vote on it. She can't be part of the Supreme court at that time because the Senate has to decide whether or not to uh, convict her of any impeachment. Right. Well, that, that is a game plan where the Senate just doesn't do anything. But it, it, at that point, she could resign. I don't know that she would be inclined to do so. But if she resigned on her own or if she, you know, if they were going to vote on it in the, in the assembly in the afternoon, she could resign in the morning so that she's resigning before ever being impeached. Um, that way there wouldn't be, you know, her being in limbo and not being able to vote on anything. So. Um, you know, the big question is whether she would be willing to resign to open up an appointment for the governor. Steve, do you think Republicans are creating a monster here? If, if Janet does what she, whatever she does, does Janet Protasiewicz become the like most powerful Democrat in the state uh, just down the road? Because if, if she gets impeached or if she's forced to resign, uh, then she just she'll get to pick whatever race she wants to run and win in the state, right? Probably, and I guess I would caution Republicans, you know, be careful what you wish for, and I would use Fred Crane as an example of that. Um, that's what the Democrats are, you know, he refused to get off the DNR board, and Republicans went to court saying, 
you know, his term didn't really expire, so the governor can't replace him. That same argument is being used with regard to Megan Wolf, you know, but turned on its head with the, the Democrats arguing what used to be the Republican side. Right. So if you if you start to open up the rules now where anybody in the, on the court can be impeached just because we don't like how they might vote on something, you know, what goes around comes around. That could be something that they would regret having opened that Pandora's box at some point in the future. And we've already pointed out in the like in reporting the hypocrisy of calling Janet on these things because all the other people on this, well, not all of them, but I think all but one and then on the Wisconsin Supreme court right now have uh, essentially taken money from, from the other party or, or said something at some point that would directly, you know, affect how they voted on, uh, on some ruling. Right. There is nobody on the Supreme court right now that is pure as the driven snow. We, we know we're, all of them have their loyalties lie. What does pure as the driven snow mean? What is that? None of them are blank slates. We I, know which ones are conservative. We no, know which ones are liberal. I know what that which means, ones are Democrat, Steve. Which ones are Republican. <laughs> I know what that means, but let, like in real life, like we're driving and snow and it's pure? What? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think you should Google it. I, I got to look up the cliche. Well, I like to know the meaning of the cliche because if we're driving on snow, it's definitely like it's going to get dirty. Um, all right. So <laughs> so in the midst of all that, so first of all, the the three court, sec- the three judge secret panel that Voss is creating is a deflection to take responsibility off what he wants to do. Um, he also unveiled a, a voting maps plan called the Iowa model. That's not the Iowa model at all on Tuesday last week, and then y'all voted for it 48 hours later with no public input, no public comment, no, no public debate. Um, well, what are, what, are, what are your thoughts on the Iowa-ish model is what I like to call it. Um, it wasn't the Iowa model. I mean, they called it that, but the, the most important difference <laughs> is that in, under this proposal, um, the Legislative Reference Bureau submits its version of nonpartisan maps. Um, if those are rejected, the LRB does a second shot at it, submits those. If those are voted down, then the legislature gets to write its own maps. Right. Um, so under today's scenario with Republicans in control, the LRB submits their maps. The next day, the Republicans reject them. A couple of weeks after that, they submit a new set of maps. Republicans reject those. And now guess what? They're free to adopt their own maps, just like the process works right now that we don't like. They did put a little thing in there that said that they would have to be bipartisan, which means that one member of the other party would have to vote for the maps. Um, and so, in, you know, in that case, you find one member and you, you know, basically say, hey, you know, we'll tweak these maps to put you in, in your seat forever and ever and ever. Um, so you just pick up one member of the other party, and uh, now you've got your bipartisan maps. That is not a nonpartisan approach. I mean, it's an it's a such an obvious game that they're playing here. And, and the reason it's so obvious is this is the kind of stuff that they've done before. And we know that, you know, the, the norms that used to be followed aren't the norms that apply anymore. So, you know, for them to say, well, we would never do that. Um, I just don't believe it. They'd be probably crazy not to do it. Well, in the maps plan that was unveiled Tuesday, that was something that was created at somebody told me at 3 AM and also like, if it was supposed to be this bipartisan uh, creation of this process, well, you didn't have any input on it, right? 
No, I didn't have any input on it. Um, I was asked by uh, a member of the Republican Party in, in the Assembly um, if I would be interested in being a co-sponsor. Um, and I said, well, send it over. Let me take a look at it. And when we looked at it, it was like, well, no, this isn't the Iowa model. So I, you know, I declined, as did some of my other colleagues. I have, by the way, I think co-sponsored every other Iowa-style map proposal that has been offered in the last decade. And that is an issue that I believe very strongly in. You can, you know, as they say, you can put lipstick on a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig. And this was not the Iowa model, no matter what you called it. Well, we love pigs around here, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you don't even have to put lipstick on it. Um, <laughs> the uh, And the, the other thing, you talk about the the, the bipartisan, and so it needed one Democratic vote. Also, it, it it kind of writes out the Supreme Court making any ruling on this, right? It like kind of writes out the because because right. they don't own the Supreme Court anymore, right? Yeah, they. I mean, they certainly were careful not to have it be something decided by the Supreme Court. It would then be still would be decided by the legislature, which you know kind of defeats the purpose of saying that we're going to make these nonpartisan. Does it write out the governor out of that equation too? Where would the maps in, end up? Because obviously the governor wouldn't sign them. So who gets to then the map process never works. It always goes to the court. So the idea that we have a, a process that hasn't worked ever except 2010 when, when everyone was a Republican that signed onto it. Um, but yeah, does the governor have to sign them or does, does it ax out his equation as well? I think it axes him out of the process too. <laughs> So it's like it's like worse than the process that we have now. Well, that's why we all voted against it. Okay, uh, that's State Assembly Rep. Steve Doyle of the 94th Assembly District. I uh, appreciate you coming on for the hour and 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 you know doing so when I literally called you like seven minutes before the show to come on. Appreciate it. Glad to do it. All right, thanks, Steve. See ya. All right, we got to take one more break. We'll be back. All right, just going to wrap up here. Thanks again to State Assembly Rep. Steve Doyle for joining. I literally called him right before the show because I had someone else bail on me, which may have been my fault, but I'll blame that person. Hopefully she's not listening. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk to you. We're going to talk 3rd Congressional District. Tara, Tara, and I just forgot her name. Tara... Johnson, there it is. Tara Johnson is running for U.S. House in the 3rd Congressional District. She's going to join. She's running as a Democrat. She is one of, I believe, three now, Rebecca Cook, and then that Andrew Knights, I think his name is, uh, who lives in Milwaukee right now. So I'll have to get him on as well. Um, I did get a text here from Kevin who said, and I, I guess I could have read this to Doyle. He would have answered it. But as a lawyer, he said, Mr. Doyle, as a lawyer, which you are, would you ask a judge to recuse themselves if they have already indicated how they would rule before you presented your case? Um, and that just that goes to like Janet Protosewicz saying during a primary that the, the, the voting maps in the state are rigged. The only problem with that is two things. And Doyle talked about this a little bit, which is something I hadn't think, thought about. First of all, uh, there was no case. So when... When Protosewicz is talking during the campaign, there is no lawsuit about the maps. So she isn't ruling on a case because there was no case. Secondly, the the maps went to the Supreme Court and all the conservatives on the Supreme Court voted for these maps that we have right now. So if you want to call, if you want to say that the, the judges need to recuse themselves, well, then all the conservatives need to recuse themselves from the case because they've already voted for these maps. So they're already decided. 
And thirdly, there are no recusal rules. In 2010, conservatives on the Supreme Court voted against having recusal rules. So if you want recusal rules, then you got to look back to 2010 and say, well, conservatives, which have controlled the court for 15 years, have voted against them and never brought them back up.